You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Well, hello, hello, my lovelies. Welcome to an episode of Ginger Archie. I'm your host, Trisha Stewart-Mann. And tonight I have an awesome guest. He's a friend of mine. Um, we're going to have a conversation about something that's going on right now in the country. And it's something that we have a little bit of interest in. Uh, his name is Hody Johns. Some of you may know him. Yeah, some of you may know him from the We Are Libertarians Network. Hody is a lover of all things e economical. <laughs> he is. Um, he loves the moving uh, picture games. <laughs> all and, this true so far. Yeah. Yes, and um, he is one of the last true anarcho-capitalists in the world. But I gave you a poor introduction, Hody. So. Um, tell my guests a little bit about yourself, like what you're about, how you came to Liberty and what you're doing now. Oh, sure. So I came, uh, I definitely made the right, the right to center libertarian swing. I was a Republican. I was never, I never really loved the, the, uh, social conservative stuff. Um, my swing over to Liberty finally happened because I actually thought the Republicans were like really close. Like, oh, we're going to be serious about the economy and then we were going to be like socially inclusive. And I was like, oh, yeah, because that's obviously the path to victory, basically being a libertarian, but saying you're Republican. Right. But uh, we uh, th that did not that whole movement did not work out. And it was the way it didn't work out that made me leave. The RNC essentially was like we would rather lose with our candidates than win with your candidates. And it was friendly fire. It was Republicans against Republicans. And um yeah, they, they, I mean, they would challenge our signatures, basically all the stuff libertarians have to go through all the time. But uh, they were just like, no, we're going to take our establishment candidates that will spend big bucks and completely ignore, you know, family values and, you know, in, and favor them for like KKK values, because that's where the money's at. And uh, yeah, and that's what they did. After that point, I kind of knew we had no, there was no way it was going to happen through the Republican Party. I went to the Demo the uh, Libertarian Party. Um, obviously, those values much more matched what I was trying to do. And then uh, from there, it was only a—I mean, it was only a couple of years till you kind of find the anarcho side of everything and just say, "Hey, if Republicans suck at these things, if government sucks at doing something, what are they good at?" And if that answer is nothing, well, then you kind of <laughs> find yourself into a whole heck of a lot of anarchy. And there's a lot of things I understand when people are worried about things with anarchy, like how would this work? How would that work? And I think ultimately a lot of those answers came to, I don't know, but I know that a politician does it worse. Mm -hmm. And I think that that to me is kind of the, the best statement that I can make. Cause I can't think of any one subject that I would trust a politician more than the individual, the individual's families and friends, their societies, their cultures, and uh, experts in the field to make, I, I trust that that much more than a politician. And it's just, uh, yeah, that's how I made the journey. I I do a show called Enemy of My Enemy on We Are Libertarians. Um, we're getting our own channels pretty soon, but uh, right now we're just on the main show. And we have, uh, we've been a, it's been a smashing success. Lots of downloads, lots of shares, lots of listeners. Um, that show has a right, left, and a century libertarian on it. And we all talk about, we debate, of course. But we all talk about the things we can unify over. I love that we establish how we're different personally, but how we come together with our um, 
we, we make an alliance, you know, and we just say, you know, it's, I understand you may want to live in a different society than I do someday. And that's fine. But until then, like we're friends, we're in this till the end. We can't, you know, if we separate all the libertarians out, we, I mean, we don't even have what 3% of the country here. Yeah. There's no way we're going to, there's yeah. no way without making some alliances and making a whole heck of a lot of converts um, that we're going to succeed. Basically, anytime somebody says, oh, don't recruit, recruit from the Republicans, don't re- recruit from the Democrats, they're too far gone. I was like, then, then you lose. Then, then we might as well not do politics at all and just goof around. You know, like we might as well just do what we want and accept our slavery because there's no way we win without it. And that's me. That's it. Well, well, I love you. And that's part of why you're my friend. And I, I definitely agree. By the way, I do love your new show. I've listened to every episode so far, only a few. But um, it's I really enjoy the different points of view and then um, the coming to understanding, because I think that's really difficult, especially for libertarians. It's a bunch of individualists that fight, and I just don't really care to do that. <laughs> I would rather unite and bring other people in on the game of liberty. So um, tonight, and uh, we'll plug a lot of your stuff, like let people know where they can find you at the end. But tonight we're going to talk about something. And here on Gingerarchy, I just have conversations. It's not super formal. You can cuss if you want, which you, I know you don't. <laughs> we're going to get a lot of hacks tonight. We're going to get a lot of hacks and shocks tonight, people. <laughs> but um, so... There's a little bit of a phenomenon, I think, and I don't know if it's it's countrywide, but I know it's definitely due to the pandemic in, in many certain ways. But um, it's the lack of employment in the service industry. And so I know that you worked in the service industry. If you could give us a little background in your service there. Yeah. So I, um, I did graduate from college. Um, I, beca- I actually became a paramedic. Didn't like that. Graduated from college, got my degree in theology. Didn't really like, I liked being a student of religion. I didn't necessarily like teaching it as much. So I didn't do anything with that. Um, I was in banking for a long time. I ended up working as a mortgage officer. Um, so that's that was service as well, because I started off as a teller and, you know, sales and everything like that. And then um, and then got into the restaurant side. And that's where I spent a decade uh, that it's sad to add all these years up and, hey, oh, my gosh, before you know it, I'm 36 years old. But, yeah, then I spent a decade in the restaurant industry. I started off just as um, a host at Applebee's. I worked up to serving. I worked up to management. I worked up to, you know, kind of front of house management and kitchen management. I worked at Texas Roadhouse. Buffalo Wild Wings. I've actually worked on the corporate training uh, training for both of those places. We've opened stores okay. in uh, Seattle and Texas. And uh, yeah, and so that's my experience with, uh, it's mostly food service, but there you go. Oh, well, I have a similar experience. Um, I've always had, um, I've kind of ranged into my jobs as well, like gone to college, decided I didn't want that, did something else or whatever, but always on the side part-time for extra income. I worked in the food service industry. I worked in the service industry as well, but particularly as a bartender. So that was always a nice part-time extra income to whatever I was doing because a lot of it is cash tips and it's good money if you work really hard for less amount of time than doing anything else. Um, But I, so I am an insurance agent. I particularly lost my job in uh, the pandemic. And then when things started opening again, I needed something part-time. I was pregnant, had a different home life. So obviously I went back to bartending and I noticed a lot of things. 
Um, number one, that there were no positions that weren't open. <laughs> you could have anything if you're a service industry worker right now. But yes. I noticed that the turnover was, it's always been high in that industry, but it was particularly ridiculous. Also, I noticed that I wasn't making much money when I went back. Um, yep. And so I wanted to read something. I don't know if you know who Chrissy Wickers is. Do you know her? Of course. Yeah. So she posted something the other day, and I did ask her permission to read this, but it made a lot of sense to me. Um, she's been in the service industry most of her life as well. Um, she is a professional with a deg uh, degree, and so she works a job in HR. But she posted this, and it it really spoke to what I wanted to say. So I just want to start with this. So this is Chrissy's post. It was on uh, social media, and th these are her words. It's funny to watch people who likely have never been in the service industry nor done so in a pandemic, bitch that former service employees don't want to go back to those jobs. They then assume it's because they're making so much more money on unemployment than they ever did working. Ha. <laughs> I was a bartender for a decade, as many of you know. When DeWine shut my job down, who's our governor in Ohio, I was near graduation and thought, fuck it. I'll try to get unemployment until I get a job in the corporate world. First, it took three months to even get the unemployment. I can hear that. And I and my employers paid into. Second, we made $4 an hour. My unemployment was $115 a week before the extra $600. Even at $715 a week, that's what I made on a good Saturday night. Preach. Now, the extra is halved, and service industry folks are lucky to get $500 a week, which is literally federal poverty wages. I don't know a single person who'd rather make in a week what they did in a night or a weekend just so they don't have to work a six-hour shift or two. Here's the actual issue. I went back to bartending for a couple months post-COVID before I graduated, and it's a vastly different world. I think on my best night, I made maybe $200. Restaurants aren't at full capacity, so the customer base is greatly diminished. They're all doing a record amount of carryout, which, if you've been in the service industry, you know is a fucking bitch and is likely a shared responsibility with a lot less tips to supplement that $4. People are extra Karen-y right now, and with that added carryout, Karens are waiting longer for their meals and somehow are more pissed off by their service existence than usual. So service workers are making a quarter of the money doing the same, if not more work for shittier customers. Who the fuck would want to do that? After a decade of prior work, I lasted only two months post-COVID before I said, fuck all this, I'm going to take an HR position. That's what thousands of people are doing. They're saying, fuck this shit, fuck these people and fuck this restaurant and getting jobs in other sectors or taking classes to qualify them for any other job than the thankless bullshit they were willing to put up with when actual money was involved. Would you want to go back to your shitty job now that it's more difficult for less money? Hell no, because that's dumb as fuck. Instead of assuming people are lazy leeches making the big bucks in a system that's rigged against this industry, listen to them. Bartending is the hardest job I've ever had, and the only reason I stayed in was because counting those hundos at the end of the night was worth it. No one is going to do a job that shitty when those hundos turn into fives. And I quite agree and had a similar experience. So what do you say about that? Boy, that is very spot on. So I guess that, yeah. that coincides with what happened to me. I um, So I got a job at writing about video games, which is 
has been an absolute dream for me. I love writing. I really love video games. Um, it's been fantastic. Uh, and I was going to keep my job. So I, after being done with restaurant management, I did end up working at uh, Golden Corral, making tips there. I just worked as a you know regular server. Mm-hmm. And um, which can yeah, be very lucrative. Was, it can be very lucrative. Like it's so lucrative. That, like yeah, I haven't had time even putting into words how like I think America is so well. You know what? I don't even say this. This isn't unique to America. The world is a cool place. Because one of the jobs that you can do without any training, without any education, heck, they want you to drop out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are just, if you've just bottomed out is a job that makes more money than I made as a mortgage, you know, professional. Mm-hmm. I, made so more, now, I made more as a bartender than I ever did as an insurance agent, low level, obviously, but yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But it's, it's, it's pro stuff. Like, I mean, it's, and it's just one of those things that that isn't what people consider an entry level job. And if you feel like staying in that job for a while, I mean, that's a great baseline to have. Like if mm-hmm. all else fails, I can do this. I can make a ton of money. That being said, that was, I came back and I remember I was like, you know what, let me give it a couple weeks to see if I can balance this working at the restaurant and writing at the same time. <laughs> and I believe after three days, I put in my two weeks notice. I just, <laughs> I, I, it, the new restrictions, absolutely crazy. And And, and here's the thing about, when you add new responsibilities, people say, well, it's just a couple of responsibilities. Well, the, the thing is every big, especially big business, but every business wants to maximize your time on the clock so that you're not just sitting around and talking time enough to lean is time enough to clean. We'll say every manager ever at every restaurant, you know, is, is you're always active. You're always doing something. I'm fine. If I'm there to work, I'm there to work. I understand that. But we were already working all the time anyway. So when they say, look, we're just going to throw a couple other things. First of all, the hosts at the front are no longer making drinks because of health stuff. Now, every single piece of silverware, when they need a new one, they can't reuse them. And you have to bring them a new one with every time they grab a meal. Now, if you're thinking about, now think about with me, this is a buffet, this is Golden Corral. And I have to, uh, you know, I have a table, I have a section that incorporates like 50 tables you know, then it's like, okay, well, I have to pay attention. And every time one of those people get gets up, I have to come back with a piece of silverware. You yeah. know what I mean? I can't, I can't just bring them there at the beginning. No plates available for the guests. The guests have to ask you for a plate every time. You're just getting hounded all the time. And these things, you barely, like, I, I was running around and very busy before. Now I'm running around very busy again. But it's also true what Chrissy said that there's not as many people. There's more carryouts. There's more people eating from home. Look, some of this is good. During the pandemic, people learned to cook for themselves. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people realized it's better. Here's here's the the funny uh, little uh, study that people judge themselves when they cook and tend to like their own food more than restaurant food, but they don't know it. They just go to restaurant food, food and assume it's better psychologically. When in the blind taste test, they tend to select their own food more than restaurant food. People <laughs> finally have grown accustomed to cooking for themselves. And they're like, you know what? Maybe I'm not so bad. So what happens? You eat your own food for like six months. And then you go out and it's like, who wants a cheeseburger from McDonald's? And you're like, dude, I can make a better cheeseburger than that in a couple seconds. <laughs> Hang on. Like, I'm really good at this now. And that's a good thing. Like more people are eating at home. And that's cool that people are aware of that. But you know, it's less clientele. So what Chrissy said is absolutely right. Basically, it was triple the work for a third of the customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the, the, 
it's it's a ton of money, like I mentioned. But when you cut it into a third, you know, you're making about minimum wage. And um, frankly, serving is a job for people that are big shots. It's a job for people that love to put in the extra and get a ton of money extra. Jamie and I mentioned uh, we we probably wouldn't serve for less than twenty dollars an hour. And oh, it's I wouldn't the, I wouldn't the, bartend for less than twenty five. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's the most thankless job, and you're in Absolutely. cardio, and you're dealing with horrible people, and you're lifting, and you're in the weeds the whole time. The only thing that's worth yep. it is the fact that you have a tip jar. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's for people that, that, you know, push the limits on what they can make. You know, you, you have a good night. I mean, and, and we said we wouldn't do it for less than 20, but of course, you know, I mean, you've worked bartending, so I'm sure you understand busy Saturday night, you can be looking at, you know, you're looking at three digits every time. And sometimes mm-hmm. that first digit starts with a two or a three. Yeah. And it's like, man, oh, definitely. you just made all that in one day. Yeah. One six hour shift. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough shift, six hour shift. We did yeah. everything we could. And so the problem is, is it was already a position for go-getters. And what do you think happens to go-getters during when you, when you lock down their businesses? Do you think exactly. they just shut down, do nothing, fall asleep? Yeah. No do you think they care way. about collecting lame unemployment at part of their actual wages instead of tips? They don't care about that. <laughs> right. They're finding gigs. They're hustling, you know? Yep. And, and, yep. and so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ohio has 5% unemployment right now. So that's not a horrible number. Um, and yet we have no service workers. So I don't think it's because everybody's collecting unemployment. I think it's because the people that hustled decided it wasn't worth it to go back and found other positions. And I really, I really get angry at people that are like, nobody wants to work and make my cheeseburger. It's like, then go make your cheeseburger. You know, if if you think you're entitled to a cheap burger, then maybe you think you're entitled to cheap labor. And if you want cheap labor, then go work it yourself because that's not fair. So I think it's a real good study in market economics. Yeah. I mean, and in monetary theory as well. I mean, I think, you know, one of the issues here is now people that, that and, and you know what, the government giving out money did not help. No, it didn't. Um, and I want to so like, Yeah, that like it didn't help. And so what happens is you inflate the, you know, monetary theory. When you have more money in the system, the prices increase. I mean, this happens every time. This isn't a surprise. And so when we have more money in the system, and there's no labor generating it. It's just printed money. It's just more money in the system. So prices That's increase no on everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so when somebody says, hey, want to come back for $7 an hour? Well, $7 an hour is no longer worth $7 an hour. Mm-hmm. $7 an hour is now worth what $3 an hour was before. $4, $5. I guess I don't want to exaggerate. If I'm to use the exact percentage, we printed off about 10% of it. So yeah, I mean, you know, 10, 15% of our total monetary supply is printed out. And so all of a sudden that job is worth 10 to 15% less. Yeah, but then also take into account the other factors that there's less um, customer base. And if you're working a commission-based system like tips, then that's even lower. So it's just even worse, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so these these places, the same money before is not worth the same money now. And so when you have a bunch of hustlers, and like you said, we're talking about people in the service industry. These are a lot of hustlers. When you've Mm -hmm. got all these hustlers, 
and you've given them time to improve themselves and time to look at their business and say like, all right, that stuff that what I was making before is now worth 10 to 15% less. I'll bet I can do better. And they went and did better. Like you mentioned, unemployment as a rate actually isn't that bad right now. So right. what happened? Well, they got different jobs. This situation that we're in with the service industry isn't going to change. What's going to have to change is people are going to have to pay their workers more. They're going to have to offer more benefits and they're going to have to, uh, I mean, they're going to have to increase their prices because that's what happens when you pay your yeah. workers more. It always, have to- it always comes down to the consumer and, and that's yep. what, what really sucks about it. But at the same time, I would say like to a lot of employers, like I just look at um, anecdotal things locally. And I would say that maybe uh, if you're working in food industry, maybe offer your employees a free meal. I think it's really disgusting when employers don't do that. Maybe offer them a week paid vacation, like things like that might keep them from going somebody paying them a, a dollar more an hour. If you're a better employer and you treat your you know employees better and give them maybe not necessarily monetary benefits, but, but a better workplace and benefits, they'll stay. So I do think that that's a good correction in the market. However, Uh I, I I know that what the government has done has completely perverted it. So I kind of bounce between the two. I don't want to say, well, people aren't willing to work because that's not true. I, I see the unemployment rate. I know that's not true, but also it's just like, you know, maybe, maybe be a better employer and you can draw people into your industry. What do you think about that? Sure. So, I mean, right now as a restaurant, you've got to compete with other restaurants. And Mm -hmm. since they're going through the same thing, you need, they all need to be aware. Hey, look, I mean, we've even seen the, I mean, heck they're posting it on their signs where usually it's like two for one tacos. They're like, Hey, you show up for an interview and we'll give you $50. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm not hating that. I'm not hating it at hey, all. That's, that's even better than two for one tacos. All right. Yeah. Let's do this. Like, pretty good. You know? So like, look, everybody's going through it. Everybody's kind of on a, look, let's be honest. Bigger business is always going to be on a higher playing field, but most of them are on a, you know, at least the same ish yeah. playing field. And so you say, yeah, we're going to have to do some things differently. What you mentioned with, sometimes it's not just monetary. Offering employees, free, I mean, just any kind of recognition, especially in the service industry. Because I think we we get our tips, and that's great. It's great to be recognized from our guests. We want to be recognized from our bosses, too. You know, I, I love my job because when I write a bunch of articles that get a lot of traffic, I will have one of my editors come and be like, man, you're killing it right now. And that t- that is worth hundreds of dollars to people because you just want that affirmation we are all human beings here i know we're talking about economics but we all still want to be affirmed well that's that's praxology really (laughs) how do humans work and so you know if you work well for humans and and make yourself desirable they're going to move towards you that's just (laughs) human nature so yeah a a lot of people think how could small business compete and i think they can i I personally would rather work for a small business i always have i've never actually i've worked for a corporation once in my life hated the experience got paid horribly and left with a little bit of knowledge but thinking i don't ever want to do that again um and so i would definitely work for a little bit of a lower wage if the job was better you know what i mean like what what is my sanity what is my mental health worth you know so i think that's important what's funny is you mentioned um like 50 dollars for an interview i know waffle house 
yep. which I love. I'm, I'm, a me- I'm a member of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, and I'm a proud member. Um, <laughs> I believe, but I, believe I am as well. Oh, they're offering a $500 sign-on bonus to their uh, cooks, their line cooks. I think that's amazing. That's awesome. And, like, yeah. honestly, like, and see, here's what's happening. People know that. People are going to the Waffle House Caucus. What do the restaurant, other restaurants want to do? What, what they're going to do is run a smear campaign and yeah. just be like, look at all these lazy workers that don't want to work. That's no, bad. they're hustlers. They got offered yep. $500 somewhere else. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> you can't just and- smear your potential workers to be like, look at how many lazy people are out there. That's not a good motivator. Like no. if you if, if you treat people like that publicly, what do you think you're going to get treated like when you work there? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's just the same. Yeah. Same deal. Five hundred dollars hiring somebody is so much cheaper than turnover and retraining, too. Like it's just oh, it makes yeah. economical sense, too. So I do want to go to that point because you and I, Hody Johns, are the last two true nuanced anarcho-capitalists in the universe. Is that not That's true? accurate? Yep. <laughs> completely nobody accurate. else gets it nobody, nobody else gets it don't argue please leave <laughs> <laughs> but um i want to talk a little bit about economics of that because i feel like a lot of people aren't grasping that with uh the lack of people wanting to go back into the service industry and i do think that the government and inflation has had a lot to do with that but at the same time i do think it's a good lesson in market economics because a lot of people think that that favors the rich and it actually just favors uh, a business and a business is anybody who works. So you're your own business and you can market yourself to anybody else. And so um, if you, you have a much, uh, much more uh, economic teeth than I do. So if you could explain to people like what, you know, a free market economy would mean to service employees or anybody like that, especially in this environment, that would be awesome. Sure. So I don't I don't want to give anybody the impression that I've gotten like a master's or anything. I got passionate about economics like two or three years ago because for a long time. You have an honorary PhD in the Gingerarchy School of Thought. (laughs) (laughs) Take that for what it's worth. And that is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth something with you. So, you know, hey, yeah, constant (laughs) backstory. So that's why we spend all our time together. uh, Yeah. We're the last two that graduates right. alive. Anyway, anyway um, <laughs> so what I did is I, I actually, um, I read a book. I absolutely found it fascinating because I, I thought economics was money. And economics is actually yeah. the distribution of resources. Money is a lot of times part of that. But um, sure. it's so much bigger than just that. And it's so much easier to explain when you just think about it as stuff. How does stuff really, if I ba- if I boil it down, get rid of all the complicated words, it's just how stuff is distributed and how, how stuff should be distributed. And so what we do is we have a certain things and we say, and, and economists from Karl Marx to Adam Smith to Murray Rothbard to Paul Krugman, what's funny is most of them actually have an agreement about how economics works. And they say, if I do this, this is, will probably be the next effect. Sometimes they disagree, but a lot of times they just say, but this is it. And so a lot of economics, and the reason libertarians deal with it a lot, is it becomes a question of ethics. We know what it will do because we have tons and tons and tons and tons of examples. But is this what it should do? Is this the right thing to do? So, like, one of the things that has always bugged me about Karl Marx, and, hey, I'm cool. If you're a libertarian socialist, that's a real thing. Our founding comes from libertarian socialism. It's cool. I get it. But 
Karl Marx specifically was kind of like, oh, yeah, if we do this, they'll end up murdering a lot of people that they don't want to give money to or that they don't want to give food to. I'm cool with that. I was like, okay, well, the difference is the capitalists were not cool with that. Yeah. And it's not that they <laughs> but I bring that up to say that there was an agreement on what would happen. The disagreement right. is in ethics. So really, you know, it's funny because when you have a, a debate about economy with people that kind of are, are entry level, usually it's it's a matter of if it'll work or not. When reality, there's very little disagreement on if it'll work or not. The ma- mm-hmm. It's a matter of if it's ethical or not. So as far as what free markets, um, so, oh. Did but I'm going to quote you on that, Hody. That's a very astute point. And uh, oh, so, so, thank, you, thank you. It's true, um, though. <laughs> Right. And so, and so the, what it is, is I challenged myself after reading one book, I was like, I want to read from every economic school there is. And there's a lot. And I think, I'm, I think Wikipedia recognized like 32. And I was like, I'm going to take, I'm going to read one from each of these 32 economic schools of thought, because I just find them so fascinating. And I read one book on each. And I kept so I know. Out, What do you like, think about the Chicago school? The which one? Chicago. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Um, the Chicago like School my is usually, favorite. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the reason they're close to Thomas Sowell is kind of like the, the big dog for me. And I, I, when the dude writes about economy, Thomas Sowell is such a beast. Yeah. Basic economics. It's a book everybody should read. It is so dope. Um, there is a lot of um, corporate protectionism in in uh, the Chicago School. A lot of um, centralized currency, a little bit in the economic school of, of Chicago, but. If you do deal with like, hey, let's let's just say we're all dealing with the American dollar and that's just the way it's going to be. It's got the best advice. If you're I think I find the Chicago school to be a lot more applicable than the Austrian school a lot because we assume that we're dealing with the American dollar right Right now because we have to deal with the American dollar. It makes the most sense. I think anarcho-capitalism is a a great. uh, The Austrian school is a very good like dream, like ideal. Yeah, but I think the Chicago School is certainly like, hey, if we're going to operate in this system, here's the best way to operate the system. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't dislike the Chicago School just because I, I find it's one for for people that are very concrete and they're like, well, I'm not, we're not overthrowing the system. So what do we do, practically yeah. speaking? Um, it's not a yeah. dream; it's the best reality we can have. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, but I still want to Right. Yeah. 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 And you know what? Like. Here's the thing, like respect to the people in Chicago, because I mean, the reason the Austrians, it's funny because there was a <laughs> there was a fight within the Libertarian Party that actually tore the 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 party apart a long time ago between the Austrians and the Chicago. And, was that like the, and, the uh, early eighties? Something like that. It was before I was mm-hmm. born. But I had to read like about Rothbard it. Rothbard and the Randians and the yes, yep, all that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and it's funny because, like, nowadays, most people don't know the difference between Chicago and Austrian school. And it just shows how the times have changed. You know, like, yeah. they're they're so close that people are like, ah, same difference. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's how far was, we are from actual economics. <laughs> right. We're, Dad, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty distant from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in, in truth, some of it's good. I mean, we shouldn't be fighting about it as much as we are. We should <laughs> yeah. completely fight about Keynesian economics. We should completely reject yeah. Keynesian is Keynesian is, is awful. Keynes is a ridiculous person. <laughs> it should be eaten. <laughs> Keynes, so yeah, Keynes inspired n- Nazism, and that inspired everything yeah. else. That's all you need yeah. to know about Keynes. So that, yeah. that there you go. Do you want to know the economics of Nazis? 
that's Keynes. Yeah. And then yeah, for some luck. reason, the rest Have of the fun. world decided to copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, none of that. None of that for me. Thank you. If you're anti-fascist, you, you must absolutely reject the Keynesian economic system. Which and is funny. really it's funny so- because people uh, antiquate or um, uh, associate Antifa with, you know, that type of thing. And it's like, those are diametrically opposed. Like, <laughs> that's not, oh, gosh, like, your yeah. fascists agree with that. So if you're anti-fascist, you shouldn't be that way. But I, I guess it all gets muddled because nobody understands anything worth anything anymore. <laughs> sure. Well, and, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to begrudge people that don't understand because in truth, I, I think the way economics should work, we talk about a preferred system. I think everybody should be allowed to try as long as it's, there's not the use of coercive force. Try your system out. If you right, want to say, but hey, some want- systems require it, and that's a problem. Right. And then, and yes, that's where you get the issue of if you're a voluntary communist, have at, man. We are best friends. Yeah. Yep. Let's let's have a good time together. I absolutely do not want to live on a commune. But you know what? You have yourself a time. And I'm not going to be, I, I don't even be disparaging about it. I truly believe some people would flourish best on a commune and they should be allowed I, I to do live in them. very small uh, very small factions i don't believe it's yes. meant for a large population but yeah, yeah no i, I will trade with you ginger and <laughs> capstan will trade with your little commune all day long i i probably will draw people into ginger and capstan but that's fine i'm not going to take them by force <laughs> well not to be technical but as soon as you've traded with a commune it's no longer a commune but oh <laughs> yeah 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 well they'll have to if they want better resources but you know that's just a lesson in economics and we're not going to go into sure. what ifs Right. Because we're living in, and we're talking about what's happened to the service industry. And here we right. are, Hody, two and caps going off into economics. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's an excitable issue. I, I have a it tough is. time thinking that anybody has read bet, like basic economics and not gotten excited to discuss it because the ideas are so provocative. They're so cool. They um, are. And I'm not a big bookworm and I actually really enjoy them. I, I can't lie and say that I listened to human action and enjoyed all of it. But I did nope. take a lot away from it. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was yeah. really, really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I recommend, I do recommend starting with basic economics just because it's a book that was actually made without graphs, without pictures. Like mm-hmm. that, It's like a perfect audio book. It's yeah. like, look, I'm boiling this down as basic as I can. So if there's, if there's any economic discussion that comes up, you can be a part of it and you're competent. And I think it's just, it's a great introduction and it gets you kind of involved and excited about everything else. Because, yeah, I think I started trying to read, like, Man, Economy, and State. And I was like, dude, put a bullet oh, in my brain. Oh, God. I've read, I've read that. And I honestly, I'm going to be honest here. And I'm honest with my listeners. I don't remember most of it because I couldn't keep with it. It just, it bored me. It wasn't that I didn't understand the ideas. It bored me. <laughs> well, I just, and, oh, man. I think, I think and this is a problem with a lot of capitalists, including, like, my man, Adam Smith, who I love. But yeah. they become so un- enamored with the data and with yeah. studying. That and to, with to their say, own voices. Right. So to say <laughs> a simple sentence, like, you know, they take the, the Jacques Cousteau, you know, castaway example and say, I found, you know, I, I let's say there's three of us on this island and there are six, you know, apple trees. Mm-hmm. You know, is it better for one of us to have all the apple trees and then trade with somebody who's, who's uh, harvesting all the salt? Or is it better for each of us to have two? And so what they'll do is they'll break down and conduct these experiments. And I'm like, can you just get to the end of this experiment, please? Like, I am, I'm dying over here. Like, <laughs> That's me. I'm laying on the floor looking for memes because I'm done. <laughs> 
Right. And they're like, well, okay, so here's what happened. Let me explain why. I'm like, you don't need to explain why. Just tell me what, like, I'm so good to go, man. Like, you just tell me what happened. We can move on. Anyway, what would free market, the free market economy do for the service industry? Mm -hmm. Well, so the first and foremost important thing to remember about free market systems, without a coercive government, there is no such thing as a set wage. What Mm -hmm. you get, that is something that is... The minimum wage is zero. Minimum wage is zero. So Mm -hmm. what what is, do you get your wage? No. What do you get when you work in a free market economy? What you get is what the majority of the workers will want. Mm -hmm. And what they want is a share of the profits. And Mm -hmm. so what you get is a share of the profits. Now, what people want, and that's what people generally want. Now, this still, being capitalists, it's not that we're sharing it all equally. It's not like, oh, I hey, McDonald's has five million employees and we made fifty million dollars. Here's, you know, a, a, you know, right. whatever amount of money for each of them. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. This is this is based on the amount of work you do, the amount of you know things like risk factor are included, things like work ethic and all that. But ultimately, your production is in your control. As opposed to saying like, well, I sold this. You know, and and I worked this long, so I get eight dollars an hour. It's I worked this long, and I put in this amount of effort in this line of work, and I get X percent of this company's profits. Mm-hmm. That is a colossal. It was something that Adam Smith noticed about the, about free market systems, or at least free er market system. Mm-hmm. There's no true capitalist utopia. No, there probably no. hasn't ever been. There hasn't been ever true communism, true whatever. But we can't we can't look at like the like percentage of trueness i guess to say how much of this was capitalism, right because we live on earth and none of that actually exists in pure form right yeah. yeah and so when people are like it's not real it's not real well it's never going to be real let's stop looking at it that way let's look at how much of it was there and mm-hmm. so when adam smith wrote the wealth of nations one of his big thing was saying yeah uh, what's when he wrote the reason it's even called wealth of nations is he was looking for what the what people what made them the most prosperous what made your general person the most prosperous? What was the, what was the policies that they had? What were the systems going on? And he found that the, the systems that did not designate wages, the people were forced to divvy up their profits. And dividing profits yields a lot more prosperity than dividing a certain weight. Because weight has two problems with them. One is they don't recognize the difference of the type of work you're doing or how long. They recognize length of work. They don't recognize effectiveness of work, you know? Yeah. If I'm, exactly. a, if I'm a painter and I have a canvas and I mess up the canvas, I've actually I've actually taken down the overall economic value of society because that blank canvas was worth something and now it's worth nothing because I've got mm-hmm. my paint on it, you know, versus, you know, and I could spend 12 hours doing that. Do I deserve the same amount of money doing that as somebody who spends 12 hours making a masterpiece? Of course not. And so there is still different various wages. But the thing is, is the profit from that is owned by the workers. And so you should, as a worker, be able to say, listen, I know I sold that. I made that piece. I sold that piece. I might have worked with you to do it. You know, you might be my seller, Mm -hmm. but I get you get your share for selling it. And I get my share for the profits. And that is that is kind of a lot of it. And I think when you look at the service industry, the market values service so much more than these little pittance wages that you get. Usually what yeah. you're getting is fractions 
I mean, and we've known this for a long time. When they when they show those graphs about the wealthy getting wealthier and these mega corporations getting even more mega, mm-hmm. and you just say, well, we know at one time they were able to afford giving their workers ninety percent of their profits, and now they're able to give their workers, you know, fifty percent, forty percent of their profits, thirty percent. We just see that downward climb. We know it's possible, but what enables it is a wage. That's a, it's, it's that simple. Because what happens is your wage is flat. And the amount of money that enters the system, Trisha, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not flat. That is, no. that is a huge number. <laughs> no, and, 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 any, and any decent business person that, that knows somebody is worth their value will pay them more because they're making them more. It's just natural, but it's not natural in a wage system. It's very, it, you know what I mean? You would want to pay the producers more and, and pay the non-producers less or fire them. But that's not natural. You have to pay yeah. everybody that wage. And it goes against free market principles. It really does. Yeah. Well, and, and so the free market is, is, is the reason people talk about praxeology a lot is this is human action. What do humans do in this insulatory system? So we talk about spontaneous order. What do they set up? Generally, what they agree on is, is this, this share of the profits. And, and, and what here's what else it does. Let me throw this out there, too. One of the reasons it tends to be more profitable is because then the workers are actively invested in making more profits for the entire company. It creates a natural cooperation because if we say, hey, I'm making more money, if everybody's making more money, then I'm going to work harder, then I'm going to work better, then I'm going to be more efficient. I want this company to succeed, and therefore I want you know, to get bigger profits, I'm going to have to do better work. And so everybody's doing better work. Then suddenly think about accountability, especially in the service industry. Everybody has worked with somebody who's a goof off, who doesn't do anything. who says, mm-hmm. eh, it doesn't matter. They're used to waiting 15 minutes on bar drinks anyway. You yeah. know, and yeah. they, and they ride on everybody else's work. Right. Yeah. And, and so what happens is that person either has to step up or step out because they say, Hey, you're a liability. Suddenly, it's not your boss that has to say, I don't want you here. It's the coworkers. And the coworkers, you're looking at their profits. And so they can say, I'm not going to work there if they're not working, if they're working. They need to step up. They need to work harder. Then all of a sudden, the employees hold each other accountable. And instead of having this very vertical, you know, hierarchy chart, you get a little more horizontal with it, right? You get to, you get more employee-to-employee accountability. Um, countries that, uh, so they're... Let me use a sports example here. Two two different uh, ideas behind sports and steroid usage. Sports if we balls. Say steroid, you know sports how balls. Sports balls, Hody. <laughs> I'm a big so, sports ball fan. Yay, team. <laughs> yay, team. So in America, if you're on a team sport and you use steroids and you get caught doing it, you'll get suspended, you'll get fined, you know, something like that. In other countries, if you get caught using it, They'll not only find you, but they'll find the team. And if you've won any medals, you know, championships, whatever, during that time, they'll strip you of your medals and championships. So in those environments, what happens in America is pretty much everybody's doing steroids, but getting away with it. In those other locations, (laughs) the teams enforce themselves because they say, we do not want to lose our championship. So all of a sudden, instead of the NFL commissioner's office coming down, doing drug tests, figuring everything out, these teams are policing themselves. And this mm-hmm. is kind of similar to the free market system. Because what we need is we need to say, like, look, what works best? We need to make the most money we can here. We're going to police ourselves 
to make sure that we are making the maximum bank that we can. And that would be so awesome. Look, service, it was in a great place. It is not in a good place yeah. right now. No, it is. To a better place eventually. But it would be in the very best place in a free market system. It, it would. And I really, so I know that definitely um, with free money and stimulus, we've, you know, obviously inflating. So, so, so $8 and 70 cents an hour in Ohio doesn't mean what it meant, you know, a year ago. But at the same time, I really dislike people that don't understand the economy and don't understand that those people don't need to work for really small wages because you want them to. It's actually like they're in demand now. So they get to do two demand. Like that's how the market works. It's really puzzling to me. I live in a very conservative town and people are just bitching about people work not working at Burger King or not wanting to serve them their, you know, double whopper for eight twenty an hour. I'm like, do you understand what it's like to work for you? I wouldn't do it. If if you are so upset about it, then come out of retirement and go work for eight eighty an hour and make whoppers all day. Like, <laughs> I don't think they understand the market system too. So there's a lot of things in play. I mean, obviously the unemployment didn't help, it, it, but also I do think there's just a lot of people, especially with our low unemployment rate here in Ohio, decided to seek out other gigs and they're in it and they're not going back to being treated like shit. Like they're just not. And so these employers are going to need to pay more, which sucks because it's going to, you know, the cost always goes to the consumer. And so we're going to paying a lot mm -hmm. for our fast food or whatever. Luckily, yep. I don't eat a lot of that. So, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> right. I would well, think and, I, and we had a ahead. stereotype about these people, right? Which was that, oh, this is your lazy. Oh, hey, how are you doing? I'm an idiot. Like we act like, oh, oh goodness, I just want to make sure everything's taken care of, folks. I'm just a drink monkey. I go back and forth and grab your stupid drinks, and I don't know, I don't deserve anything that I'm getting. When in reality, it's hard work for people yeah. like us. I'm a college graduate. I went back to serving after working in restaurant management. For, I guess I was in it for about six years. But I, I mean, I, I went back to serving. Right. Yeah, it was right. harder. It was harder than all those jobs. Way harder. Right. It's harder. And here's the thing. All that, all that like kind of what people would say is like, oh, what, they're just some dummy that dropped out of high school. Now, maybe some of them are, but they aren't dummies. Right. And they <laughs> unfortunately, you gave them time to, fit, to value themselves, to sit down, to reevaluate things. And say like, mm, I deserve better. I'm a hustler. I'm yeah. good at this. Yeah. I'm, I, I, this was literally my cover, my cover, uh, my cover letter to my job because they wanted me to send an an application with a cover letter, and I was like, man, because I have no experience. And I was like, look, I got no experience, but I really love this job. I will work for you for free. And if it, after two weeks you don't think I'm worth the value, you can send me on my way. And they're like, dang, this kid's got it. They hired me right away. Oh, they didn't take awesome. me up on the, on the offer or anything. But they're just like, wow, like that made up for all the experience that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And so what you're finding is a lot of these servers that, that society treated like they were stupid, right? that they were adults, that they were entry-level jobs, you know, that they were just, that these, this is for the bottom. And, and yes, the bottom crust of society can get this job. But they can't make it work unless they're right, hustling. They can't keep it. They can't keep it. It doesn't take a genius, but it takes a certain type of person. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So what we. So what it is is it's just it's all the hustlers, and you gave them a chance to hustle, and we. They, and that's the thing. I knew you knew. I knew that it was all just a stereotype, 
And then very little of it was true. We had a bunch of people working their way through college. We had a bunch of people who graduated college, you know, and, and those were the people who did, who, who were generally in, in, in the restaurant industry and doing successful. And so all the, all they did was say, you know what? People are finding out now that that was a stereotype. They mm-hmm. thought the servers were sitting around and they would have been the most happy people on earth to sit around and grab free money. And yeah. so now, hey, they, we stopped giving out free money. And what happened? Oh, they all found lines of work that valued their hustle better. Yeah. And so it's like, look, if you want those hustlers back, you are going to have to work for them. Yep. And that's called a free market. Well, semi-free. I do know. I, I understand a little bit of the inflation, but it, honestly, like, if you want good employees, you have to pay them. I, I don't understand why you would think somebody would do something you wouldn't want to do for less than you would do. That doesn't make any logical sense to me. Nope. <laughs> you're nope. not willing to do that job for eight seventy an hour. Why would you expect somebody else? Do you think that they're your slave? Because it doesn't make sense to me. But also, I, I want to uh, point on a lot of, of this is falls at the feet of the government as well. Obviously, not just the employers. I mean, they got really got screwed. So you have sure. occupancy. So, you know, I went back to bartending because I lost my job in insurance. And what happened to me, actually, I got overwhelmed because we didn't have enough tables. We had to take out tables. So I had the whole yep. side and my bar, which was huge. But we didn't have enough tables to justify a server, so I just did the whole thing myself. Well, you when you're serving 100 people with one person, you just can't get the service you can. It was either that or you divide it, and then you each get your pay cut like in half of what it would have been. So I think a lot of this falls on a lot of governor, governors that have done these occupancy standards, and it's like, for fuck's sake, it's not making anybody healthier. It's not stopping the spread of COVID. Let these businesses thrive and live off their, like, they're, they're living on margins as thin as ice right now. Uh, it's ridiculous. I can't understand why you wouldn't just say, you can have this many people. It doesn't matter. If people gather together now, you know what? Let them be damned. Like, <laughs> let the restaurant owners thrive and, and let them exceed, you know, their potential and, and let them sell and pay their employees. I, if you're, eating really from the ch- from a, if you're eating from the chocolate fountain in the middle of the pandemic, you know what you're doing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and I get like maybe some maybe some employers would still cater to maybe like, um, you know, compromise or older people and want to do that. And that's fine. You know, if they want to find a way to make a profit doing that, that's OK. But, you know, if I have a pub that wants to do karaoke again and a bunch of 30 year old healthy people want to come sing karaoke, who the fuck is the government to say that that's not okay it's not their damn business so let's let, let me put on my status hat for a moment because oh, this is this lord is, jesus this is one of my fa- <laughs> this is one of my favorite experiments and one of the things that kind of shows I, I think it shows status a lot because let's pretend i'm just a really benevolent government dictator i that's i'm the not, governor so no, that's a paradox but okay right. i will play along Right. Well, I, I said imagination. We're going to have okay. to pretend. Right? We're pretending. Okay. We're, pretend. yeah. So, yeah, we're playing pretend. So here's here's what I want to do. I want to keep the maximum amount of people alive and still keep the economy going. Okay. And a pandemic hits. What would I do? Would I close everything down and just say, eh, I had to choose between the economy and lives. And I chose lives. And so now everybody's stuck in their homes. And I'm going to destroy the economy. Even though the economy is also people's lives. And so by destroying <laughs> the economy, I destroyed people's lives down the road. Okay. Right. 
Uh, long story short, any any withdrawals we do now, your kids are going to be working longer, harder hours for less money to pay for it. That's just flat out what it is. Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to do that because, as I mentioned, I'm a benevolent dictator. What would I do if I had an ounce of common sense, but I still wanted to flex my statism? Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, if you're immunocompromised, stay home and I will give you money. Let's take all the people that are at risk. All of them. 100% of the people that feel at risk. They can sign themselves up. Let's say I don't even want to, I don't want anybody to dictate and tell them they're, they're, you know, their immune system is compromised. You decide. You can mm-hmm. sign up for this. We'll pay you money to stay home, whatever you made before. And we're going to work on a system that brings you groceries, brings you food, does it in a contact-free way. And then we can keep the economy going while still saving literally every single life that wants to be saved. This is the problem with government. They don't do that. What did they do? They shut everything down. They killed a ton of people in the long runs. Ask Andrew Cuomo. They killed a lot of people in the short run, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he literally people. is responsible for, like, he, he did what would be worst for immunocompromised people and, like, pushed people that had COVID into nursing homes. Like, that's literally, like, the worst thing you could have done, and he did yep. it. So, yeah. Right. And so the thing is, is, this is now Cuomo is a particularly bad example because I mean I'm not sure how many governments garbage. Okay, let's yeah. move on from that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, yeah. that. He makes the top five of people politicians I can't stand, which is a, yeah. let me tell you that's a tough list to get yeah, onto. I know, I've a got a big but, fucking list. Yeah. <laughs> but he he's on there. Um, but but even then, every state kind of did this thing where they're like, all right, well we had to flex our chops, and so we decided what businesses should get shut down. As opposed to doing, look, what do you do with a quarantine? You lock down the people that are in danger. You don't right. lock down quarantine is for sick people, not for healthy people. Or and, and I would say people that are in high risk of being sick from this. Yeah, right. And so the thing is, is there were there precautions that would have made sense? I'm not a denier. Yeah. There are absolutely some things we should have done that would have made sense. I we would say there were a lot could... of voluntary solutions that the government could have suggested and not enforced. Absolutely. Correct. And I think I think businesses would have because if it makes sense for your bottom line, you're gonna do yeah. it. You're not gonna put your customers at risk if it doesn't sure. like, it doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah. Cruise ships, the NCAA, um sports events, they were all shutting down before the lockdowns were in place. Because right. they're like, oh man, we're going to get all the people sick. We don't want to yeah. do that. They were like okay. trying to preventive, cut it off, and then eventually they could come back to their business. Yeah. Right. And so I think what it is when we get a grasp on it, I'm really inspired by the um, Magic Johnson, right? Uh, here's some more sports ball for you. I know oh, you're yay. loving this right now. Tisha. But you know, gets AIDS and there's this stare, there's, there's so many there's people who say AIDS is nothing. There's people who say AIDS, say AIDS is the end of the world. And what it is, is it was right somewhere in between. And they're like, okay, so what is AIDS? Hey, if he gets a cut, we have to treat it. Let's know that. Does it mean he can't play basketball every day? No, it doesn't. You know, like, and, and so what it is, is a lot of people were, there was so much hysteria during the Magic Johnson times because everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're, they're going to breathe the same air as him. They're going to get AIDS. You know, and you think of, uh, I mean, we still have laws in states that haven't been revoked yet because politicians are lazy. I know this is a shocker, but where you can't have, you know, AIDS patients share, share the same, 
you know, room with another patient because they breathe the same air, but it's like, that's not there's, how there's still state laws against sodomy, which just blows my mind. <laughs> I'm not I'm saying I'm for or against, I'm just saying, what does that have to do? <laughs> why is this? Yeah. Why is this your deal? <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Do what you want. It, it's, yeah. it's a goofy thing. So like, uh, like the thing is, is with this is it's like, is there something we should have done? There was a common sense. There's a common sense threshold. If you were immunocompromised, this was absolutely a very serious thing. You should have stayed home. We should have been, we should have altered our economy to make sure that you're well fed, that you're supplied, that your bills are paid. Absolutely. All these things we should take care of. That's a compassionate solution. The uncompassionate solution is to shut down every single, you know, restaurant or put or put restrictions on them that are so audacious that they can't open. Right. This is the uh, the Atlas Shrugged Dagny Taggart bit. Oh. Are you there? Oh, oh I sorry. I, I think we got DC for a second. Yeah, uh, we're good. Yeah. Okay. So this is the what we did was the Atlas Shrug thing, which is saying I don't want to ban your business, but what I am going to do is I am going to make it impossible for your business to operate by making things so regulated that you pretty much have to shut down. Right. And so this is, this yeah. is, the, this is the problem that we have. So go ahead. That's okay. Hello. Hello. What? Cody. Hello? Did you hit the question? Hey, I haven't hit anything. Oh, hey, why? Okay, <laughs> I don't know. All weird. I don't think I can edit this because it's in the middle of the show. So if you're listening to Ginger Aki, hey, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, this is weird things happening. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear my thing about Atlas Shrugged? I, I definitely did, which, you know, I'm okay. a huge fan of my band. So I definitely heard okay. my ears okay. perked up. So do you want to take your question? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. This could be really bad. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. Let's have it be bad. Give me the bad stuff. All right. We got Ryan Elias here asking a question. Boo. Well, boo yourself. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. I told you it could be bad. Me and Chris do these. And there was one guy, like, we're having a really good conversation about fourth wave feminism. And I, like, really don't want to read this episode. And the guy just farted. But anyways, here's the next question. <laughs> oh, bro, I'm actually sorry about the last one. I didn't mean to do it. Like, that was just me being dumb. Well, I appreciate right. the well, apology. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. We appreciate you. I hope that you're finding employment. And if you're a server, you're going to fight for your rights. Anyways. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, we've, we've kind of touched on, I mean, it's like kind of all over the map, but I want it to be because I think that a lot of people don't understand the um, economics behind what's happening right now. But so for the people that say it's purely the government's fault and it's purely this um, extended unemployment in addition and, and this upcoming UBI, basically, mm-hmm. uh, what would you say to that? Is there any truth to that? Um. No. So not, So one of the problems oh, is when you, blame, <laughs> when you blame 100% of everything on the government, you abdicate the responsibility that you have yourself. I don't believe that God would create a world in which there is evil if we weren't meant to contend with that evil. And so there are always going to be problems, and we need to always be offering solutions, fair or not, fair or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe we shouldn't have to be 
compensating for the government. But you know what? We have to. And this is what it is. And so we mentioned before, one Waffle House has found a solution. Yes, it involves paying their workers more money. Yeah, that happens. It's going to inv- look, it's going to involve raising the prices on the menu. That too. So the thing is, is these things are going to have to happen. If they refuse, if they say, no, we want to keep our employee wages the same. We want to keep the prices the same. They failed to, they failed to compensate for what the government has done. Yes, mm-hmm. it is the government's fault for shutting everything down and for pumping a bunch of money into the system and wrecking a bunch of things. That being said, you can do wrong when wrong has been done to you still, right? So we have been wronged by the government. They are the cause or, and we can respond incorrectly. And so the thing is, is there's a correct way to respond for this and paying your workers fairly and being good to them and recognizing their merits and their value and their hustle is all very important. And the companies that don't do that deserve to suffer Maybe not because of the government stuff, but they deserve to suffer for not treating their employees better. This is the system we have. You need to work with it and be better. I love your answer because I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and, and yes, maybe maybe um, business owners, especially small business, we're put in a really tough position. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. but you can't fight uh, an ill done to you with an ill done to other people. And so I think this might be a day of reckoning where... People need to pay service industry workers better. And ultimately, you'll get better employees. If you want to keep playing, uh, paying people crap wages, they're going to get crap employees. You know, you might get somebody, you don't have to retrain people every three months if you get somebody and pay them decent. <laughs> so right. it, it could benefit businesses in the long run. I don't understand why people think people are replaceable. When you retrain somebody, it costs a lot of time and money. Anybody oh, yeah. that's ever worked in knows that. So... Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. And so I, I do want to like kind of dispel the myth that it's all laziness of people just collecting unemployment because trust me, I got two weeks of it and it sucked. Um, <laughs> so, right. And I most, mean, most, most people want to work, to be honest. And we have actually a pretty low unemployment rate here in Ohio. So I, I know that's true. But um, yeah, it, so, I'm, a living, I'm a living example. I went and I got my dream job. That's, that's, you know what, <laughs> if, if my restaurant wanted me back from my dream job, yeah, there's a price. Uh, it's pretty yeah. high. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see, you know? Well, I actually, I just, I'm just like, uh, part-time when needed now. So if somebody calls off or whatever, if I'm available, I'll work. So I didn't like quit, but I basically did. You try to work from home because, um, it's a lot easier. I don't have to pay childcare and, um, I can try to hustle for myself and, and I don't have to deal with people that are angry all the time. So it's a lot better gig <laughs> for me. Um, uh, but yeah. I, st- I still have love for the job. Like there's still something about being, you know, in a restaurant on a Friday night and hustling and making big bucks and stuff. That's fun. And I hope it'll go back to that eventually. But uh, final words yeah. on what's happening. And I like the fact that we focused on the service industry. I think so many people overlook it. Like it's not a real job. I really hate that. Um, so what would you say to a business owner that's struggling right now to employ people? Oh, first of all, I'm sorry. Um, owning a business is 10% your passion and 90% dealing with bullcrap. And so I am yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry ahead of time because I believe in that passion 
I've seen people's passions die because of this. And in truth, in a free market, your job should be 100% about your passion and 0% about the bull crap. So like, it's just, I, I get it. First of all, so I guess I want to lead with that. I'm sorry. Like, that's hard. Secondly, here's what I want to do. I want to throw out a couple of lessons for you. What I had is I took, I took some awesome management classes um, from a guy named Kent Taylor. He was the CEO of Texas Roadhouse. He actually donated his salary so that people wouldn't get fired. Um, Kent, um, man, hard story. Um, Kent. Yeah, I know. Got- I know you were dealing with this recently. Didn't he pass away? Yeah, yeah. So he he got COVID. He had the he had ringing in his ears, and one of the one of the one of the lesser known side effects is if you have that, it can get really bad, and it just got really loud. Unfortunately, he uh, he committed suicide. And Ken, I had pictures with him. I have some really great experiences with him. Um, he he was one of the he's one of the few good dudes in the corporate world. And there's a lot of there's a lot of butt munches on top of I think restaurants, yeah. the immediate ones, you can find a lot of good people. I think when you start to climb the ladder, you kind of get some gross people, but he was one of the good ones. Yeah. And so that that was tough. But you know, I did this leadership um seminar when I worked with them and uh it was cool. We went out to like, I mean, we uh, it was crazy. We went out to like the Kentucky Derby. And uh, I just met a whole bunch of like motivational speakers and inspirational speakers. We read some books um, about about leadership that really helped me out. And one of the things that I really wanted to point out was just how much recognition means because people will people can live a life in America making about any wage at all. And. So, so one way you combat it, we've been talking about wages a lot, but I want to stress, especially with service people, I am cool to make $0 an hour plus tips because I'm really good at making those tips. And mm-hmm. so Same. like, as long as the tips are there, oh, heck yeah. I mean, Hey, we work at uncle Sam takes everything else. We don't make yeah. paychecks. I get a zero. Right. It's funny because they'll give you this zero. Those are the worst, paycheck. aren't they? Every two like, weeks. And you're it's like, like what $14 is this? for two weeks. <laughs> right. And it's like, this is saying that we paid you $2 an hour and the government got it literally every single last cent of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, well, thanks for this. <laughs> you know, and so like, we don't, I don't care about that part. That part means nothing to me. What means everything to me is the tip. So if the, if your customers are paying the tips, then you don't really have a lot in terms of wages to boost people up. So instead of looking for something financial, think of something cheap that you can do that gives your employees recognition. One of the things that we had is we had a whiteboard in the back and I had a contest for people every day. And I'd look at the stakes that weren't going to make it till tomorrow. And I'd be like, all right, here's the deal. You sell one of these, you know, you get a point. Whoever gets the most points at the end of the day gets their name on the board. They get recognition. My boss looks at this. Your boss's boss looks at this. They will see your name. You will get praise. You will get recognition. And so people would compete over it. I would take like a 50 cent Hershey's to the board and be like, the winner gets this Hershey's. Look, it's not about the Hershey's. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about getting the name on the board and getting that recognition. And I would just yeah. say, you, know, you can give, think about the things that are free that you can Im- immediately improve people's quality of life. Because the reason I bring up being able to live anywhere in America on about any salary is because, mm-hmm. yeah, some places are going to be harder than others. But we know minimum wage people that live in the thick of San Francisco. It's possible. Mm-hmm. 
it's just, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not like really hard work. Need, yeah. Right. People will take, people will say, look, I don't need to take as many vacations. If my job feels better to be in, I don't feel like I need a vacation constantly. So you know what? I don't need more money because mm-hmm. I love my job and I feel good working here. I would say if you have an atmosphere where people do not like their jobs, that is the most important thing to fix. Um, mm-hmm. I would be flat out and say, look, if you're here, we're being positive. And they're not being positive like I'm giving you a bunch of bad stuff to deal with and you guys keep a smile on your face. I'm saying give people a reason to smile, to dance, to walk around happy. Give them some individualism. Let them sell the best way they sell. Challenge them, of course, you know, and let them know when they hit those expectations that you wanted. Don't say, well, well, yeah, that's what I expected of you. Cheer with them. Celebrate with them. When your favorite baseball player does what's expected of him, do you just sit down on your couch when you just say, "Mm, good? No. You don't. You (laughs) cheer and you get excited. Sorry, I know that's like That's a great analogy. Really, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Employers should do that to their employees. Yeah, that is absolutely it. And you know what? Unless the CEO is in the building, you don't need to worry about this respectability. Oh, my employees going to see me as lesser because they cheered for me. If you are ruling by fear, screw you. Like honestly, I don't want to work for you either. So like, don't like let that atmosphere down. If you're an employer right now, let it all go. Rule by happiness. Rule by positive incentives instead of negative reinforcements. Give people. Mm Get, make people happy, encourage that positive environment. I think things will be a lot better for you. People want to come back. I, want to I, with you. I would work for $4 an hour for a place that I love to go to and a person I wanted to make money for rather yeah. than somebody at 10. I'm going to make my tips regardless because I'm good at what I do. So I would much rather, I just don't care about that extra money. I'd rather be happy going to work on Reddit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I th- uh, right. And I think that that's exactly it. And I think that a positive environment is free. It involves changing your attitude. Um, it involves, you know, a, lo- a lot of working one-on-one with your employees as well as working groups and saying like, hey, you know, yeah. here's what we're going for today. Like, let's be positive. Hey, I'm really impressed. Like, it involves saying that you're impressed with somebody and not having being impressed being an expectation anymore. And I understand there's a lot right. of bosses that, that they just say, I don't think I have time to reward everybody for doing a good job. That's actually a good problem to have. Just reward it whenever you see it then. If you say, mm-hmm. my, if you're, if you say, cause I've had a bunch of sticks in the mud bosses be like, I can't go around patting you on the back every time you do a good job. Okay, well, doesn't that speak to how awesome your employees are? So that's not an excuse. You know, just say yeah. like, man, you're so awesome. I don't even have time to tell you you're awesome every time you're awesome. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Use that line. Feel it from me. Yeah. You say it and people will feel so much better. Pony, I, mean, you know I want to work for your restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> like, you I want to be your bartender. I'm just so motivated right now. When I was the uh, front of house and kitchen manager at Texas Red House, we had a lot of fun. It was a very positive environment for a little bit. Yeah. It was a. Uh, no, I, I've yeah. mostly worked in the service industry most of my life and I have had professional careers, but I always did it part time. Just because it's great extra money and you can like, it's always something I can walk back into and pick right back up. So it's definitely a skill. People say it's unskilled or stupid and I've never tried it. But um, I, I've always mostly enjoyed uh, the camaraderie and employees. Like you're, you're just, when you're pushing it out from like 
five o'clock to eight o'clock, there's just this camaraderie and there's this thing like you're going to get it done. And it's like, you're kind of losing your mind, but you know, you're going to get it done and get paid. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. You're producing something every day. Like you see the results of your production every day. It's very satisfying. It really is. So um, kudos to those people still doing it right now. I oh, feel for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, fight for what you're worth. I mean, don't be a dick, but fight for what you're worth. And if you have a good boss, they're probably going to pay you for it, to be honest. Yeah, or at least recognize you for it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's a tough time right now. And you know what? I would say feel free to vote with your feet, whether it's your boss's fault or not. If you can make more money elsewhere mm -hmm. or if you could receive better whatever you want elsewhere, whether it's benefits, yeah. money, hours, whatever, do what benefits you the most. Because one of the cool one, things one bit of advice, so go, go to your boss first. Go to your oh, boss sure. first and say, this person offered me something. You will be damn surprised if you're a good employee, how much money that person will probably offer you more. <laughs> yep. So never, never forget to do that. I, I think a lot of young people forget that you can go negotiate for your wages with your current employer too. So. Yeah. I, I, everybody, that whole, everybody, I'm sure all the cooks make the same. Nope. That's no, that's not true. <laughs> that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's an inaccurate. If the cook statement. that shows up and does well and never calls off says I'm leaving, he's gonna get a couple bucks more an hour. It's just gonna happen. Yep. So, I had I had kitchen employees making everything from the minimum seven twenty three an hour here in Utah to uh to fifteen dollars an hour and yeah yep. And there, and I tell you, I'm telling you right now, the ones I paid $15 an hour are worth every penny of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. So never doubt that you're, you're worth like not retraining somebody you're worth. If you're a good employee, you, you know, say I'm going here, this person offering this and, and tell your boss that. So, but oh, this has been a really, I've, I've really enjoyed this discussion, Hody, because it's kind of like libertarians tend to base our uh, economical and political discussions around big business and government. And I think we forget a lot of the little guys, which actually make everything tick. So it's been, it's been very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you as well, you're a good, you're a good. Um, a lot of anarchists get kind of government bad. Whereas I think you and I are very much a people and free market good thing. And right, I think right. I, I don't hate government for being government. I hate government because it's force. Like, you know what yes. I mean? Like, I'm not right. to say everything. Yeah, I'm not reactionary in that. Because we're the yeah. last true anarcho-capitalists. Right. Yep. For the last two right. of us, we recognize it for what it is. <laughs> and we are... We are, we, we're just more educated than everybody else. That's all it is. Right, exactly. Uh, exactly. That's all it is. So, I believe Krisha has a certificate or a degree to, to, yes. to get. So, I mean, ask I her do. It. It's hanging on my wall. Don't ask me for it. Um, <laughs> she put two copies. I have the <laughs> so, other one. I, well, we can photocopy probably one more. I don't know. <laughs> so, I pay for mine in Bitcoin. But, so, <laughs> Holy Johns, where... Where can people find you? What you're up to? Like, if they want to say, I want to follow Hody and listen to him because he makes a lot of logical sense and he's not an asshole. So, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, so, if you Google me, Hody Jones, I, uh, I write for uh, various video game outlets. So, you'll find some, some of my works there if you want to see my video game stuff. Um, I work, uh, let's see. So that, that's my video game stuff. You can find me, just search for Hody Johns, H-O-D-E-Y, last name Johns, J-O-H-N-S. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me at the, on Twitter. I believe I'm the Hode Man on Twitter. I believe I'm the Hode yeah. Man on Instagram <laughs> as well. 
Um, I love smoking meat. I love cheese. You'll find a lot of that. Um, and of course, on my longer, I mostly do. I don't like the the 140 character limit on Twitter is not near, as you can probably tell, not nearly long enough. And so, most of the time, if I post something deep, it's probably on Facebook. Um, so that that's probably the one to hit me up if you're looking for. Politics and economy and that side of things. Please tune in to the We Are Libertarians Network. Enemy of My Enemy is the name of the show. It is, it's going well, but it'd be better with you listening to it because we, it's just, it's so much fun. We have some great audience interactions. um, And I'm loving it. I mean, it's, it's, it's new. I think we're on episode six now, but it is, I I am loving it. I have some great co hosts to choose from. Uh, like I said, there's a left, right, and center libertarian on every show, and you're going to hear a lot of great debate and a lot of great unity. And so Enemy of My Enemy is that show. Uh, check that out. You can find me as an occasional guest host on Ginger Rocky, uh, another good show hey. from the Libertarians. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to bite the hand hey. that feeds me here. Yeah. Hey, hey. Uh, no, seriously, if you want to follow, like, you know, if you're listening on stereo, which is probably just quite a f- uh, few people, most people are libertarians that listen. But Hody is a really balanced libertarian. He is an anarcho-capitalist, but um, I would say he's more center. And so if you don't want to listen to some crazy-faced person that wants to say, like, really horrible things to get popular, then listen to Hody because he just says really great things, to be honest. Um, so definitely follow him. Go to wearelibertarians.com. You can find all of our shows there, all of a bunch of other wonderful shows and i just want to close this out by saying thank you all for listening peace grace to you and fuck the state